0: Well, good morning. It's good to see you, and I know that by seeing you this morning, you have survived another Black Friday in America. And so some of you survived by just avoiding it altogether, and then some of you crazies put on your knee pads, your elbow pads, and your helmet, and you went out and met it head on, didn't you? And so you've got the the bounty to show for it, so good for you. Uh, I avoided it. Uh, almost all together. I got a little head on uh, Cyber Monday there, so. But the kids made their Christmas list out. Um, I don't know a couple of weeks ago, so we kind of got ahead of that. But I was thinking about ghosts of my Christmases past uh, as they were doing that, and I was reading some of their lists and some gifts that I have received in the past from from family and from Santa uh, along the way. Do you remember your favorite gift? You think back. Uh, did, you, did you have a favorite gift? It's hard to to like pull out one favorite, right? You know, sometimes it, it depends on the the season of life, or you know, kind of uh, who gave it to you, and and kind of how you were feeling at that time about what might stand out as as something favorite. You know, our kids will occasionally ask, "Hey, Dad, what's your favorite color?" Well, I don't know. It's it's Tuesday. I guess my favorite color today is green. You know, or or they want to know, "What's your favorite song?" Man, for me, that depends on what was going on in life and what year it was and and what I was involved with and and stuff. And they'll ask, well, who's your favorite child? Now, they've never asked that. Because they know. know, You know who the favorite is, right? You know who my favorite is. So now I've distracted them for the rest of the sermon figuring that out. So I had a hard time picking a favorite toy because, ashamedly, or maybe not, I think I had a lot thanks to my grandparents. Some of y'all know exactly what that's about. And I guess my situation is, is that of, of probably many of, of your children uh, today. You know, they got toys to play with, you've got, you know, trucks and balls and dolls and dresses, and then you got big toys like trampolines and play sets uh, that are out in the yard. You got small toys like MP three players or Xbox or PlayStations and stuff, you got outdoor toys like you got bikes and scooters and indoor toys and games and with all your toys Perhaps you don't have a favorite because you have too many. When you think back, there's too many to choose from. And we would say that's a privilege. Or at least other people might look at it as a privilege. We are living today under God's new covenant with creation and we have a privilege. We are privileged people. Unlike those in the Old Testament, there's a contrast here. They never knew this new covenant. And so the writer of Hebrews pours out his heart to convince us that we are privileged. We are privileged people and we should not be ashamed of it. And so the Old Testament saints had a faulty covenant because they had weak priests who were offering up imperfect sacrifices. Those who were trying to fulfill this covenant were weak people. They were human people and they had a hard time doing it. But we have a better covenant with a perfect priest who offered up the ultimate sacrifice. And they only look forward in hope, but we have seen the promises fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so we experience all the treasures of Christ. And because of this, we can live confidently by faith. And that's what we've been looking at for these last weeks. Living by faith. And yet sadly, there are probably many times that we take for granted all of these true blessings, all that is true in Jesus Christ. And so we lose sight of all the wonders of the privileges that are ours in Jesus Christ. Proverbs 27 and verse 7 says, "...the one whose appetite is satisfied loathes honey, but to the hungry mouth every bitter thing is sweet." Man, Thursday, when it came lunchtime, I was so hungry, I would have eaten the decorations on the table. But once I got past the third piece of pie, the fourth piece tasted nasty. That's what he's talking about here. When you're full and you're satisfied, even the sweet things are not attractive to you. But if you're empty and you're hungry, then anything looks good. Anything is sweet. And sadly, this can happen in our spiritual lives too. And so the incredible spiritual blessings that we have in Christ can be seen as so normal, especially when we say we grew up in the church, it can seem so normal that we forget how privileged we are in Christ Jesus. We're privileged to live in these days. And our privilege is greater Then these Old Testament saints that we've been looking at over these weeks, they lived in difficult days, like like the the days of the Depression, when all they could do was live each day with the promise of something better tomorrow. That's what gets us through today, is tomorrow promise that tomorrow is going to be better. Those promises were a long way off, but we live in the days of plenty. As a people group, for sure, we live in the days of plenty. We live today with all the modern conveniences that previous generations could have only hoped for, and I can only imagine what, 20, 30, 40, 100 years if the world keeps spinning, what this world is going to look like and and the the types of amenities they're they're going to have available. And we have plumbing. We have electricity. We have electronic communication. Some of you guys remember when you didn't have that. And spiritually, we live in days of plenty. We have access to everything. We live today when the promises have all been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so we don't need to look high and long for God's provisions for our lives. Rather, we we merely need to look at Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, the one who fulfilled all these Old Testament promises and prophecies. And so reading Hebrews 11 is like listening to my grandparents talk about being thankful for an orange in their Christmas stocking. Or it's like a hard candy Christmas. You know, it's those those days, the, the, the best day ever. Because it didn't come around all the time, right? It was a rare tree. And so some of you know exactly what I'm referring to here. By faith, Scripture says, they lived. And by faith, they died. And so Hebrews 11 and verse 13 says, These all died in faith without receiving the things promised. But they saw them in the distance and they welcomed them and they acknowledged that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth. For those who speak in such a way make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. And in fact, if they had been thinking of the land that they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they aspire to a better land that is a heavenly one. So therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. And so over and over and over again, they lived by a promise that never came to pass in their lifetime. And their faith was not in the promise but their faith was in the one from whom the promise came. And so their faith was in God, which is why we read in verse 39, all these were commended for their faith, yet they did not receive what was promised. So these are astonishing words. When you just sit on this for a minute, so after build up and build up of example, example and example of, of those who live by faith here, after this long list of those who lived By these promises, heroes of faith like Abraham and Moses and David that the author goes through here after an overflowing of these great deeds that they had done like shutting the mouths of lions and and escaping the edge of the sword and, and, and being martyred, then the writer says, yeah, God appreciated their faith. He appreciated their faith, but He didn't give them what they were looking for. He didn't give them what they expected. So they were living by faith and a promise that in their lifetime they never experienced. So it's not that God wasn't pleased with them. We see that God was very pleased with them. And when God looked down upon them, He was pleased with them. He gave them His approval. And even so, they didn't receive what was promised. You're kidding, right? They lived their lives faithful to God. And not once did they win the publisher's clearinghouse. They filled that thing out every time it hit their mailbox and sent it back. And not once did they win. Even though they've been faithful to God their whole life. It seems like they have been in and out of doctor's offices for years. God, I'm trying to be faithful to You. Why is this happening to me? Is God not answering my prayer because He's mad at me? Is that what's going on here? Is God disappointed with me? Is He ignoring me? Why does it seem like my prayers are going unanswered? Well, perhaps, and even possibly, God is working out for your good in His due time. That's hard. It's hard to think about. It's hard to hold on to. It's hard to admit that perhaps what you're asking, perhaps what you're on your knees every night praying for has a greater benefit for a greater population. But some things have to happen first. See, these saints were praying, God, for Your deliverance. We need Your deliverance. And God said, I'm going to deliver You, but I need to benefit a lot more people than just You. You're going to receive the blessing. But so are a lot of other people. And so in due time, I'm going to answer this prayer. Perhaps you'll never know in this life. And see why. Why is such a heartbreaking question to get stuck on. Generations upon generations were asking why. For God had provided something better for us so that they would be made perfect together with us. God, why are you not answering my prayer? Because God has provided something better. Something better. How do we know? How do we know God works this way? Because it's happened. He shows us. We open up His Word and we see throughout this history of God's people how God has operated. And we know this is how He works. But if you can't see the when, if you cannot see the when with your eyes, then you can high-center your life on the why. And you can stay stuck there until it eats away at your hope and eats away at your faith. And after an entire chapter describing the faith of the Old Testament saints, those who lived their lives of faith over multiple centuries, he turns and he tells us that God has something better for us. Better for us. And this word better is used 13 times in this letter, which is all about how Jesus is better. Jesus is better. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses and Joshua and Aaron and the high priest. And we have a better covenant initiated by better sacrifices. And in verse 40, what do we have that's better? We have a better privilege. We are the ones who are living after the coming of Christ. We get to experience what God meant all these centuries about His promise of deliverance. And such a better privilege calls us to a better life. See, the Old Testament saints received plenty of promises. God promised to give Israel the land, and they received the land under Joshua. Various military leaders won their battles that God had promised victories to, and Hezekiah received an extra 15 years of life when he asked God for that, according to God's promise to him. And God has always been about the business of making and fulfilling promises. It even says in verse 33 that many of these that we've read about here in chapter 11, many of these obtained the promise that they had asked about. So how can the author here say that they did not receive what was promised? Well, since the day that Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden, they all looked ahead, looked forward, looked for someone who would arise from the seed of woman. That was God's promise. Someone who would be bruised on the heel, but who would bruise the serpent on the head. And since the days of Moses, they've been looking for a prophet to arise like Moses, who would be another deliverer for them. And since the days of David, they looked for one to arise from his bloodline, to sit on David's throne forever. And since the days of Isaiah the prophet, they looked for one who would be born of a virgin, one who would be called Emmanuel, wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal Father, Prince of Peace. They looked for that one. They were looking for the one who would sit on the seat of David, sit on his throne and reign forever and ever. Looking forward to that, looking ahead for that. This was the promise. That all these Old Testament saints were looking for, and yet we come to verse 39, and they did not receive what was promised. But now faith is being sure of what we hope for, being convinced of what we do not see. For by faith, the people of old receive God's commendation, God's approval. God approved of the way they lived. He saw their faith, how they lived in spite of not experiencing the promise, still living as if it had come true. God appreciated that. He was pleased with them and He gave testimony that they were His children. And so that that should be great encouragement for us today as we're living in a day where we are promised eternal life and yet we experience sickness and we experience loss. And we experience pain. And we experience suffering. And we even experience joy. But it's so short-lived. And we try to recreate it day after day and it just doesn't happen. God remembers those who have faith in Him. And when things are difficult and things are rough, you have not left the mind of God. God has not forgotten you. God gave testimony to everyone who lived by faith in God. But this does not mean that they gained everything that God had promised. Verse 13, "...they all died in faith without receiving the things promised, but they saw them in the distance and they welcomed them and acknowledged that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth." So they died having pleased God. They gained God's approval. They died approved of God. But they did not receive the promises, just like verse 39 said this morning. So they're awaiting this future fulfillment of the promises which never came in their lifetime. They went to their graves without ever seeing it happen. They were like the child who eagerly anticipates the coming of Christmas, but for them, Christmas never comes. Well, they hoped and they dreamed and they never saw its fulfillment. They're waiting for this future fulfillment, this future event, this future happening, this future promise which never came in their lifetimes. They hoped and dreamed, but never saw it. And this was by design. This was by design. Not accident. Verse 40 said, For God had provided something better for us. Why did they go to their graves not experiencing the promise? Because God had something else in mind. God had a better plan in mind than what they could have dreamed up. Made it perfect together with us. For whom? For those who live after the cross. And so the promise to them was unfulfilled, but the provision for us is way better. It's way better. Michael Card captured this well in a poem that he wrote called The Promise. I think he turned it into a song. It says this, The Lord God said when time was full He would shine His light in the darkness. He said a virgin would conceive and give birth to the promise. For a thousand years the dreamers dreamt and hoped to see His love. The promise showed their wildest dreams had simply not been wild enough. Their wildest dreams had finally come true. See, we no longer live in the hope of something to come, but we're able to live in assurance that someone came. Jesus Christ came and He paid the price for our sins and He established peace, eternal peace for us. And someone came and reconciled us to God. And so God has given us something better than they ever hoped for. They just asked, God, kill the Romans. God kill the Babylonians. God kill the Persians. Just kill these people that are are making it hard for us to live in this life. And God says, I got something better for you. I got someone that's going to come and is going to defeat everything that's going to keep you from living eternal life. And so God had provided something better for us so that they would be made perfect together with us. And this isn't exactly what you might expect the author to say when you break this down word by word here, you might expect him to say so that apart from Christ they would not be made perfect. In other words, they didn't receive what was promised because God had provided something better. He provided Jesus through whom we would be perfected. But notice the little pronoun here. Us. It appears twice here in verse 40. And intentionally it directs our hearts to a privilege that we have over and against what they have. So yes, Abraham was favored of God, and yes, Moses was favored of God, and yes, David was favored of God, but God has placed His favor upon us in a greater way than He ever did on them. And so we have something better. And apart from us, apart from the time that Christ came, they wouldn't be made perfect. And so you remember what Jesus said of John the Baptist in the last... The last of the great Old Testament saints before the new covenant. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 11. He says, I tell you the truth, looking at John. He says, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Wow. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, says, let me tell you something. There has not been a human on this earth greater than this man right here I'm pointing you to. But then Jesus says, yet, The one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than Him. And so Jesus was speaking of this privilege that we have of entering the kingdom. Privilege that we have. Just like those who believed in John and believed in John's words. We have that same privilege when we believe. And in the same way, God has granted... His favor upon us so that Abraham and Moses and David and John the Baptist even himself never knew perfection, completion apart from us because we're living in the time of Christ. And so don't ever consider yourself a second-rate citizen in the kingdom of God. The original hearers need to hear this, and I would say we do too. See, they were being told by by those around them, come back to Judaism, come back to the temple, come back to the way it was because you're second-rate as a Christian. But the writer says, no, 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 no. We've got it better. You need to understand. And this makes all the difference in the world in the way that we ought to live. And we understand this. So imagine that you're called to be a gardener of a large estate large grounds and you're in charge of, of all the, 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 the plants outside and you've got to mow the grass and you've got, to, you've got to water and you've got to prune trees and you've got to trim the bushes and you've got to do all the gardening sort of stuff. You've got to rake the lawn and you've got to plant the flower beds, You've got to cultivate and, and you've got to weed. But here's the deal. Here's the thing about it. The owner of the, the estate is a bit eccentric. And so he doesn't want to see you doing all of this. He just wants it to happen. You don't want to see activity happening. Here's a funny thing. This is a completely off the taking a right here, but when uh, when I was working in EMS, I was um, on the presidential detail when Bill Clinton was in office. And uh, Bill Clinton never wanted to see Secret Service or medical personnel anywhere where he was. So we had to stay strategically hidden uh, anytime we were uh, covering the presidential detail. So I thought about that. So you've got this gardener here who doesn't want to know that anybody else is around. He just wants it to happen. Just make it happen. So you can only do your work at night. You can only garden at night. You can only do all this activity while he's asleep and can't see you doing it. You can work under the few lights of the estate, you know, to help you out there, but the owner doesn't want to see anyone working on the premises. So you've got to mow at night. You gotta plant at night, you've got to cultivate at night, you've got to prune at night, you gotta rake at night, you've got to do all this in dim light. And furthermore, let's go one step further. Furthermore, you're prohibited from using any water or fertilizer because the owner is a naturalist. So now figure that out. And you cannot read any books or watch any YouTube videos about gardening. you got to figure this out. Nothing that's been written in the last 100 years can you consult. Now anything older than that is fine to read. You can do that. So how well do you think you would do? How well do you? How, how good do you think this lawn's going to look? I, I think that you're going to struggle to make everything look nice if you have to work under those conditions. And when you mow, you're going to miss some long streaks of yards, surely. You're going to miss some spots. It had to be hard to visualize the trees to prune and it's going to be difficult to keep the bushes even and so you won't be able to see everything that you, that you rake in the lawn. It's going to be difficult to even distinguish the weeds from the plants. So this is a bit how the Old Testament saints had to live. <laughs> this was life under the old law. See, we're reading Hebrews 10, verse 1. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview. We could barely see what, even what we're working for here. A dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. So there was something to the, the guidance that was needed, but they couldn't see clearly. So they had guidance, but their, their eyes were, were, were it was dimly lit. They couldn't quite make out the details. They're living by the shadows, working in the shadows, and not in the light of the sun. And so it's hard to live in the shadows. It's hard to see clearly when you live and work in the shadows. And on top of that, their covenant was faulty. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. So there was activity, but these priests again offered these weak sacrifices that never take away sins, but it all pointed to a Savior. It all pointed to Jesus Christ who would come someday. But when that day would come, they didn't know and they didn't fully understand what this was all about. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10, this salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. That's for us. And they wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when He told them in advance about Christ's suffering and His great glory afterward. So they didn't know. And they didn't understand what they were talking about here. So even the prophets who wrote did not understand. But today, we understand. We understand today, we understand the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. And we understand how Jesus came to, to suffer on the cross. We just memorialize that in the Lord's Supper here. We understand that was for us and for our sins as Scripture reveals that. We understand how God highly exalted Him as a result to His right hand. And we live in full knowledge of these things. So the prophets who didn't understand knew that there would be a day when others would understand. So therefore, they were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things. Eagerly watching. And we have been recipients of these promises. We've seen Jesus. We've seen that the Messiah has come. We're like the gardener. Who can work during the day and do all of the, all of they've got to do during the day. Seeing the lawn and seeing the trees and seeing the growth and seeing the flowers. That's where we're living today. And using all the water and all the fertilizer that's necessary to make everything grow. And we're able to read and to study about gardening. <laughs> and the more we know and the more we can apply and the prettier our garden becomes. So also with our lives of faith. This is what living by faith is. And so those who live in the days of of this greater revelation, we ought to have lives that surpass the lives of those Old Testament saints who were living in the shadows of what God was talking about. We know our sins are forgiven. We know that in Jesus Christ we have eternal life. We know that He was a sacrifice for our sins. We know about redemption. We know about reconciliation. We know about resurrection. An eternal life, we know that the Holy Spirit of God dwells in us. We have this privilege that none of the Old Testament saints had. They can only look at the shadows, but we can look to Jesus. And this is where the author was leading us. Because therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting Him, He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now He is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. And with this better privilege, God calls us to live better. He calls us to live better He calls us to a greater faith than even Abraham, the father of the Old Testament faith. He calls us to have a greater faith than even Moses, the deliverer of Israel from Egypt. He calls us to have a greater faith than David, the great king of Israel. Because the blessings that we know about and we experience today and the object of our faith are clearer than it was for them. And that's not to say everything is clear for us. Absolutely not. We've still got some promises that we're waiting for. Namely, the return of Christ. We're waiting that final promise. But we have seen that Christ has come once. And we look forward to His return. We look forward to it. Don't we? And some of y'all had company that you were looking forward to that came in this week. You'll have some more come in in a few weeks for Christmas probably. But what did you spend a week or more doing before they came. Cleaning. Repairing. Getting ready. Because you ca- I can't imagine if somebody just dropped in on us right now, I wouldn't be ready for them. I wouldn't want them to see this house the way it is, the shape it's in. So I've got to make preparations for it. That's life in Christ. See, one of the things that can keep us from living by faith is being afraid that I'm not ready. One of the things that can keep us from anticipating the eternal joy that that Christ wants us to have is I'm not quite ready for Jesus to come back. And I don't mean not ready because I I love and and I want to be with all those who are with me here. I mean, I'm not ready because I ain't ready to answer for some things that I've got in my life. See, sin can keep us from experiencing the joy of this knowledge of eternal life in Jesus Christ. And Jesus calls us to, to repent of that, to, to, to turn our minds around, to change the direction of our thinking from ourselves and pleasing ourselves to pleasing Christ in God and to receive His forgiveness. And another thing that can keep us from joyfully anticipating the, the fulfillment of this promise of eternal life in Christ is if we are not in Christ. See, it takes a a decision on my part. I've got to place my faith in Jesus that He is the Son of God, that He is the sacrifice for my sins, which means that I disobey God. I sin against God. And Christ is the answer for my rebellion. And when I place my faith in Him and I confess those sins and I repent of them, and I'm baptized into Jesus Christ, God forgives me because Christ's blood cleanses me from those sins. And now I receive God's Spirit and the promise of that eternal life and I can live joyfully each day living by faith, looking forward to that eternal day with Him. So how about you today? Are you living by faith? And if not, why not? We're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement. If we can pray for you this morning in your walk of faith. If you're ready to put on Christ in baptism and we can rejoice with you this morning. There's an opportunity now. Will you not let it pass by as we stand and sing this good song?